This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, uh, I'm talking to Anafiok Epidum about where we come from, rap, home, and hope in modern Britain. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, it's like it's it's dead interesting book. Uh, it's a it's a fabulous read. It's really poignant. Um, it's really moving. But also, uh, I think it, it's quite fun because you get a real kind of sense of um, both the kind of the music and and the places that uh, that you're writing about. And I guess to kind of kick off with, um, I suppose the sort of first question is, what are we actually talking about here? Uh, the book is is most kind of uh, focused on UK rap and, and grime. And there are distinctions between those two uh, sort of genres. Um, and for people who've never heard of, of grime, aren't familiar with UK rap, um, what what do you actually mean by those? What, what are we actually talking about? Yeah, no, it's interesting. That kind of sits at a lot of the heart of the book. Um, when we talk about UK rap and grime, they're kind of sister genres. Um, UK rap, of course, being a kind of the UK or the British equivalent to American hip hop in a way. And um, grime is kind of a genre that is a product of American hip hop, but also a product of the sound system culture that has existed in the UK, which kind of was brought over by a lot of Caribbean immigrants during the Windrush generation. And the UK rap has a lot of ties to that culture too. And in recent years, um, those two genres in particular have had a massive spike in listenership and visibility in publicity artists like Stormzy Dave who have become household names in a lot of ways are now real like spearheaders for the genre and they are I guess like almost poster boys for the genre in a way um but I wanted to kind of write a book that looked at what led to this moment that we have now and how do these genres really affect people's lives not just in a very visible sense in terms of people selling loads of records and winning loads of awards, but on a real local sense too. So I guess when talking about British rap and grime, it is talking about the music, but it's also talking about the real culture that exists sur- surrounding the music and that has birthed the music. And that's kind of really where I laid my focus with in where we come from. 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes reading books about music, they they end up very focused on like the artist and, and maybe tell a story of sort of you know this particular like artistic genius or or something like this. But 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 this book is both, I think, about places and, and really sorts of foregrounds places. But at the same time, I think it really tries to tell the story of scenes as much as it's telling the story of of individually kind of you know brilliant and, and sort of talented people and i'm quite interested really to to get a sense of the places because you know you mentioned kind of uh, windrush london the importance of um those sort of proto scenes um that set the scene for uk rap and, and grime but but maybe kind of slightly more unusually as well as london you've got south wales and the west midlands yeah. as your three key places and i'm interested to know a bit about kind of how and why you chose them uh, before we start to talk about the places themselves. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's funny, the book actually started, funny enough, in Manchester, which actually didn't, makes the book in a certain sense. But what what the motivation for, the, for looking at the places just outside of London as well was that with the book, I really wanted to have a look at contemporary Britain in a way and really wanted to like document and capture what does contemporary life in Britain look like and how and using UK rap and grime as a vessel to explore that and to document that. And so I knew, A, it was really important for me to get outside of London to do that, hence going to the West Midlands, which has always had a really thriving um, MC culture, rap culture, um, music culture, and has a lot of the same history as London when it comes to Windrush immigration, um, West African immigration, immigration from all across um, Europe as well. But then I also knew it was really important for me to get outside of England. And so that's what kind of led me to Wales was to, because I knew the music was resonating in all of the small towns and big cities right across the UK. And if I really wanted to really try and paint a picture of what contemporary Britain looks like today, it was really important for me to actually leave leave England, which has, I guess, been the epicentre for the genre and go to maybe places that were a bit more unexpected or unpredictable, because I think that's where you can really see um, the power that the music has taken on in certain places um, when it's not necessarily a major city like London in that sense. So that's how I settled on South London, South Wales and the West Midlands. And I think they all, um, I think they all hold about a third of the book each. So I spent a lot of time in those places. And in the report, and I also went to other places like Ipswich and Manchester and Scotland. Some of them didn't necessarily make the book, but I think it was important for me to go to just really see and being exhausted with my reporting, but also to really see um, how music was affecting people's lives across the UK and also how these scenes had really flowered from their inception points. I mean, you, you mentioned the kind of going to the places, you know, be, being in the places. The, the other thing, which is a bit of sort of scene setting for the book, is is your role. I guess, you know, partially as a kind of a writer, as, as a journalist, but also, I guess, as someone who's heavily involved in um, these music cultures. And, and I'm sort of interested to know, like, where, where would you kind of place yourself in the book? Because um, I guess you're sort of, yeah, a writer, observer, mm. but also you're a participant in the book as well. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, it was an interesting, figuring out how to place myself in the book was interesting because initially I didn't want to be, there are a few scenes in the book where I'm directly there and that more comes in the second half of the book. Uh, but initially I didn't want to be present in the book at all. Uh, a lot of reading, a lot of the influence from this book comes from a lot of narrative nonfiction and eth- ethnography work that I've done before, as well as like narrative nonfiction that I've read. Um, and in a lot of those pieces, the author is largely absent and you're kind of just looking through the eyes of these different individuals and characters as they navigate their day-to-day lives. And that was has always been a big spur for me to try and 
blend that with um, these music scenes that I really loved. So initially I was trying to keep myself out of the book as much as possible. But um, as I began to do reporting in some places like South Wales um, and especially in Wales and a few times in South London as well, I began to realise that actually there is a place for my voice. I've worked um, and written and been writing about these music scenes for the past decade now. And by doing that, I've just had so many experiences of seeing small moments and really big moments of how impactful the music scene has been. And I've got to witness a lot of history that's happened in the music genres over the past decade too. And so I realised that for me to actually, on a technical level, to be able to demonstrate and to display these stories to anybody that's reading, I'd have to put myself in there too. And so I kind of do see myself as almost like, um, yeah, as an observer in that sense, I feel like I'm more like the road, the vehicle that's taken us across to these different parts of the country, but I'm really just planting us down there and then allowing us to watch life unfold through whoever, whichever scenes or individuals or rappers whose story, I guess, makes up the main bulk of the book in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it adds, I think, to the to the power of, of of the book, actually, particularly, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit later, particularly um, in, in some really kind of moving uh, moments um, across the kind of careers and across uh, the places and, and, and the various scenes as well. And, and to, to pick up on um, the sense of the kind of three places, maybe we'll start with the West Midlands. The, the, the book sort of uh, intertwines, and, and I think it, it works really well, the, the three uh, narratives. But um, what I might do is, as we discuss it is, is kind of carve it up into mm. um, three places and, and, and three sort of case studies. So if we begin with the West Midlands, and, and I've sort of picked up that deliberately because I guess... I've sort of mentioned this already. The story of, of things like grime is usually like London, 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 London. Um, and actually, like the West Midlands, I think, is, is really interesting. So uh, one of the kind of key um, players is, is Desper. And one of the things I got from the story you were trying to tell was this sense of uh, the West Midlands having this thriving scene, but not having the kind of like infrastructure of the music industry, which, you know, so much of which is in London. So what's the story of, of kind of grime in the West Midlands, and then maybe we'll talk about Desper's career as well. Yeah, no, this is such a. I learned so much in in going to the West Midlands. I'm originally from South London, and I'd always grown up and fed the story of the music grime and UK rap just starting in in London, and then spreading out from the country thereafter. Uh, but going to the West Midlands and going to Birmingham in particular and hearing about their own version of events really opened my eyes to the evolution of music and how music does evolve in spaces. Uh, the Birmingham has like a, a very similar history of immigration to London. A lot of the Windrush that came initially, of course, many went to, to London, but of course, many went to Birmingham. Birmingham was like a big industrial hub um, of the country and a lot of it had been wrecked during the World War uh, and same as the wider West Midlands too. And so when uh, I guess a lot of local councils needed the city to be rebuilt and needed to employ bus drivers and nurses and all of these different roles. It was a lot of immigrants, especially Caribbean immigrants who took these jobs on and hence Birmingham became a big um, centre point for like a lot of these new communities throughout the, the 40s, 50s and 60s. And naturally when that happens, when new groups of people arrive in a space, they bring their own cultures with them. And so they they brought music and continue to import music from Jamaica and Trinidad and all of these other places too, which meant like it birthed a real um, sound system culture that the same way that existed in London, which people may be familiar with, with things like Notting Hill Carnival and stuff like that, um, it was also birthed in Birmingham too. And that 
those are kind of the seedlings for a genre like grime to emerge because a lot of the grime MCs, either their fathers, their uncles, their granddads, were uh, musicians who were reggae musicians or they operated sound systems and these different things. So the same kind of legacy that existed in London existed in Birmingham at the same time too. And when I'd go to Birmingham, a lot of people would say, we've had the music just as long as London has. We may not be the direct um, creators of the music, but the the context that allowed the music to flower has existed for here, existed here for a very long time. And I think that's the same in cities like Manchester too. And so I thought it was quite important to start with Birmingham because I really wanted to, to almost like jolt people um, a little bit when with the book started. And I think it would have been very easy to start in London, but I wanted to show like that the history of, the history essentially of black music and black people in the UK is, isn't a, is a varied one. Like there isn't just one starting point. There are all of these different communities across the country who have contributed to this multi-layered history and you can kind of pick that up from any point. So I decided to, that's part of the reason I decided to, decided to start with Birmingham was to show that. One of the things that, if we jump right to the very sort of end of, of the West Midlands story is Desper having an office, being, I guess, someone who is kind of like, you know, built the industry that allows all of this kind of incredible creative culture that you've been talking about, but was never, I suppose, maybe like directly translated into something that was, you know, a formal music industry that people were like formally making um, kind of uh, music industry careers out of. Um, so who is he? And I guess like, um, what's his sort of like legacy to the West Midlands? Mm. Yeah, so Desper um, is now actually a good friend of mine, but, but in general, he is um, he's a music executive from Birmingham, originally from Walsall, um, which is just not that far from Birmingham. And he grew up uh, at a time when Garage was a really big sound and Garage then started to evolve into grime. And he got involved really early um, in Birmingham's grime scene. And as the music started to become popular in the early 2000s and from then on, Birmingham became a real place that... Um, upheld like the legacy of the music and upheld the authenticity of the music. Um, I think that was partly due to a, a lot of the kind of chaotic social climate in the city at the time. Um, but as the music grew, there wasn't necessarily the infrastructure in Birmingham for the music to become a commodity in that way and for musicians to be able to make actual a livelihood from the music, not in the same way that there is in London. In London, there are, of course, numerous, numerous record labels. There are numerous radio stations. There are numerous TV stations based out, TV broadcasters based down in London. So if you are a young person and you were emceeing or you did rap, there was maybe a bit more of an avenue for you to then turn that into an actual career. Whereas in Birmingham, that wasn't necessarily the case. They didn't have a lot of these things. And they didn't have a lot of these places that were willing to play their music either. Um, and so Despa becomes a really important person in trying to shift that trajectory for the city and for the people who exist there and who make music there. He starts by, he, when he was young, he always had this dream of owning his own music studio and had looked up to like older American um, rappers and entrepreneurs who had done that. And he, I guess that is his livelihood, lifehood dream. And that is kind of like the heartbeat of his story in that way. As much as we're talking about the history of music, we're really following him on this journey as he looks to eventually um, build and create the, a studio of his own and uh, at the end of the book he eventually does do that he manages to open his own music studio after founding his um, own music company and partnering with a big record label down in London to do so um, and now that 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 is a space where a lot of musicians and MCs from the region can go to 
and record, but they can also get managing services there, publishing services, A&R services, all the things that are needed for a thriving music scene are starting to emerge in the city and Despo has been a real part of that um, evolution in that sense. We switched to um, to South Wales. The, the, the story there, I guess, is, is of a slightly different kind of legacy um, with some of the key players um, sort of either no longer working in, in music or um, having gone on to have um, sort of slightly different lives out, outside of, of the scene. And I was also struck by how, like, the geography is different. And again, mm. sort of towards the end of the book, you kind of get a sense of, you know, driving between these places that, you know, are kind of cities, but they're sort of like, you know, in some ways, small towns that have got their own sort of individual bit, bits of culture, which is, you know, quite different from somewhere like Birmingham, you know, mm. very big, um, you know, I think it's like possibly the second most multicultural um, city in, in, in England, yeah. you know, one of the biggest in, in Europe. And obviously, the, you know, as you talked about the kind of London uh, story, which um, we'll come on to. So, What's going on in South Wales, both in terms of kind of like the grime scene there, but also the kind of key players, particularly around, um, I guess, the kind of the group, the Asteroid Boys, but but yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. One, one or two key individuals as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, in South Wales, the, the story there centres on a group called the Asteroid Boys, who were active from maybe the mid-2000s, late 2000s to maybe for a decade on so after that. And it essentially catalogues their beginnings, their rise, and their eventual separation of um, the three main members in the band. A guy called Phil, who it really is the main person who I follow throughout um, the South Wales chapters, and as well as um, Dale and Benji, who are also two members of the band. And it really looks at the space the music occupies in our lives, and also what after maybe a music career is done, because not every music career ends in a in a as a Dave or a Stormzy with millions and millions of records sold, what happens after that? And how enrich how does music enrich somebody's personal life in a way that maybe we don't necessarily always see? And that kind of is the story um, of the band. And within that, the the story of that that story then tells a wider story of South Wales, which I hadn't really been to before until I st- until I started reporting on the book. But South Wales. Um, and Cardiff and Newport in particular. Cardiff is, of course, by um, the docks. It has a famous, there's a famous docks in Cardiff. And that meant that a lot of um, immigrants would come into Cardiff from the late 1800s onwards. And essentially, I found out that uh, Cardiff had one of Britain's oldest ethnic communities. And a lot of what you see in the city is a result of that. And so when I'd be walking around Cardiff, you'd see um old Somali communities, old Greek communities, old Jamaican communities, and a lot of it extends back to those time periods. And the book looks to chart that history too and kind of reshapes and reimagines what the history of Black Britain is. Because even for me growing up in in London, my at least contemporary view of what Black British history was was that it started with the Windrush generation essentially and going to Wales completely kind of shattered and challenged that for me in a lot of ways, which I was then really keen to document because it showed um, that all of these different spaces have their own really distinct and unique pieces of legacy um, that continue to exist until today. Phil, who from Ashford Boys, he is um, Greek. He's a Greek Cypriot. His granddad and his brothers came to Cardiff in the 50s, I believe, and started a string of hair shops all around Cardiff. And um, then every generation took over from the last generation. And he kind of grew up in hair shops as a kid before um, getting into grime and rap. 
and then I guess uses those and then has a dream essentially with those genres to try and become one of the biggest musicians in the world, which is, I think, something easy to say maybe if you're from London, but when you, what you quickly realise about a place like Cardiff and South Wales is that where maybe that history of even, not even just music, not even just rap and MC culture, but music necessarily isn't there in the same way, although it has a really rich history, but maybe the the size of it and the visibility of it isn't always the same that that was quite a difficult dream to imagine um, a lot of people talk about they can even imagine a welsh rapper being breaking out in any significant way and astro boys were i guess the first welsh um, group that were able to do that and they really blend um rap and grime with like a lot of the local music that existed like newport has a big history of rock music there's a big electronic music in this in the city and they blend all of these things together into like this real unique sound and then they essentially take that sound across the country and across europe and gather a really big cult following in the process um and so the book explores that but then also then explores like what were the inner personal lives of these people during that time period? Some of them struggle with alcohol and addiction issues. Um, some, like somebody like Phil, ends up finding God and decides to leave a music career behind. And someone like Dell, who's from Newport, really struggles with the popularity of the band and balancing that with his life in Newport. He was 15, 16 when they were touring Glastonbury and doing UK national tours. And then he'd come back to his GCSE lessons in history and have to and found it difficult to talk about what he was actually going on in on his weekends and so it looks at like those kind of elements too which are really some of the richest elements of the book i feel yeah and like the sheer graft of all of this you know you know like one of the great kind of cliches around like making it in music is like oh it's hard work you know it's not like look it's it's always like hard work that you never see and that like is so clear like both throughout the book but also um, in the South Wales uh, chapters, like, um, and you really sort of feel um, for, for the three of them, actually, and, mm-hmm. and it's really sort of poignant um, around them sort of um, splitting up to, but the emotional heart, I mean, you know, you might disagree with me on this and people have like sort of different interpretations mm-hmm. of, of books, but the emotional heart, I think, was kind of in South London with um cadet and cadet's career and maybe we'll do that in in two bits really Mm -hmm. the first thing is uh who is this artist um you know what happens in terms of um sort of coming out of uh, i think a really intense and really sort of thriving south london scene um and having particular moments in his career where he gets quite a lot of recognition Uh, what's what's the kind of yeah i suppose the, the story of cadet yeah, Cadet, Cadet is a, was a rapper from South London, from raised in, initially in Clapham and then from Croydon as well. Um, and yeah, he really comes out, of you say, as you say, of like the beaten music culture that existed in that quarter of the city. And I think South London was always a place I wanted to focus in on, not just because I'm from there, but because I'd seen it. I think it really represented everything that was quite unique about um, British rap, UK rap, grime and MC culture. It really represented that in in, in Croydon and in South London, you have really large um, British Caribbean communities. You have really large British African communities. Um, and you, of course, have other communities too. And these communities have kind of linked together in a lot of ways um, to shape like the sound of UK rap and grime, to shape the language that exists in a lot of places across the UK. Um, a lot of it comes out of these kind of regions. And I really wanted to be able to capture like that social dynamic and the social condition in the city and um cadet was an artist i'd listened to for a really long time his parents his grandparents came to the uk from jamaica 
And he makes this, he would make this really introspective, radically introspective um, music, which almost felt like diary entries. Like at times you couldn't believe he was um, talking about some of the things he talk, he was speaking about because he was being really open, whether it's that's about past relationships, about his own journey with um, his mother, his father. He talks about his father's having addiction issues and how they managed to reconcile their own relationship. He talks about all these really personal and intimate details um, and layered them in his music and a really... Um, not only did that change his life, but change the lives of so many other people. Like he'd get messages all the time of people saying, I listened to that song and I decided to reach out to my mum who I hadn't spoken to for 10 years or I reached out to my son who I hadn't been in contact with for 15 years. And so I knew his music held such a power and a, and a gravitas like in the music scenes. Um, so he was somebody I wanted to write about and wanted to interview for a really long time. Um, unfortunately, he then passed away in 2019 and that was maybe one of the probably one of the first times that the music scene especially the music scene at the time was at such an inflection point and then something unexpected like that happened really rocked people um and i remember the grieving that existed at that time around his passing he passed in a um, in a car crash on the way to a show and he when uh, an uber he was hitting was um was hit by a drunk driver, essentially. So really tragic circumstances. And I remember seeing, of course, his family went into mourning and I spoke to them about that whilst I was reporting the book, but then the wider scene going into mourning too. And really seeing how his life was celebrated really to me was an illustration of what it means to be from South London. And his life became a real beacon and beacon and example of that. Um, I think a lot of times you talk about these things like South London culture, London culture, British culture, um, Black British culture. And I was like, I really wanted to show what these things meant. And I think in his passing, you really saw that his friends start a football team for him, who I followed for a season. Um, and they named it after him and they play um, in a local league in South London and Surrey. And that's their way of kind of eulogising him and keeping his name alive. Uh, there's a big show that happens at um, the O2 Academy in Brixton uh, on his on what would have been his uh, his birthday, and all of the musicians from across the scene come out to support at that show too. It's a really it's a really emotional show as well. Um, and there are all these other things. Stormzy at Glastonbury, who was really good friends with Cadet, um, kind of takes a moment of pause whilst on stage to remember his friend. And all of these things really showed, and not just showed like the power and impact of his life and his music, um, but I think they also really represented the emotional core of the music as well and the cultural ties that the music has to the places that have birthed it. Um, and I think as well, he was just a phenomenal musician too. So to yeah, cover his story was probably like the most difficult to do because it's such a sensitive topic and you want to make sure that um, everything really is accurate and you get everything right. And I think I ended up probably over-reporting for... For, for that, I ended up with probably about 80,000, 90,000 words of transcripts on his life from all of these different places and different people, from his mum to his sister, to some of his school friends, to people who knew him slightly later in life, to the football team guys, to people he worked with. Um, and it really kind of traces his life. The book, the South London section in the book, really kind of traces um, his life story, his family story, and is almost a vessel for the wider story of, of music in South London. Yeah, and you wrote really poetically and really, really beautifully about it. Um, I think it's yeah an incredibly uh, sort of powerful um, way to both, as, you, as you've said, kind of bring the scene to life, but also to celebrate his life and his career. And yeah, I mean, not to 
sort of spoiler the book for anyone, but you know, you've mentioned the football team. I think the payoff, uh, that final chapter with the football team gives a real sense of kind of a particular sort of South London legacy, given the importance of footy in that um, bit of, of, of the city and how, you know, kind of um, thriving um, that is down there. The other element, I guess, of kind of legacy, which comes through in the book, is the sense of the next generation. Mm. And that's not to say that, um, you know, sort of um, even, you know, five or six, seven years ago um, is low enough away <laughs> for there to be a next generation. But right at the top of this uh, conversation, you mentioned Dave, who is like, a you know, global sort of phenomenon mm. um, now, but, but also um, with the kind of case study places. So Dave is obviously um, London, but, you know, you've got discussions about, you know, people that are actually not just Birmingham, but mm. are from Coventry, thinking about, you know, South Wales more, more broadly and the kind of next generation coming through there. So, I mean, it's difficult to sort of pin down like a legacy and a sort mm. of like, you know, <laughs> Here's five minutes on a on a podcast, but I guess what what what, the, what lessons of the book have in terms of that kind of next generation of artists and and the kind of the importance of place for that mm. next generation. Yeah, no, definitely. The book was that was really deliberately done in having that section on the next um, generation. That uh, it's called Brand New Day. That section, and what I really wanted to achieve with the book was not to just write a. I guess a more standard history of the genres, but to really showcase where they come from, hence the title. But also to mean that when you then pick up the book, you could pick up the book in 20 years time, 30 years time, 40 years time, 50 years time. And by reading it, you could understand the context that the music um, exists within and the communities that the music exists within. And I think showing that generational kind of hand into the baton was really important to be able to do that to be able to do that because the music is a product of that. It's um, generations have been handing down this music from, as I mentioned, from the 50s and the 60s. They've been handing that down those ideals from the 50s and the 60s onwards. And now um, that process is still ongoing, that like kind of generational reaping and sowing in that way. Um, and so I wanted to show with this next generation that they are the product of everything that came before them. I think one of the lines I say in there is that everybody comes from somewhere. And so it's essentially is that idea that nothing is an accident. So somebody like Dave, who, as we say, is a global star in South London, um, he is the product of a cadet, of a Stormzy, of a Krebs and Conan, of all of these musicians who, whose work laid a little more ground for him to be able to walk over. And then he'll be able to do that for the next artist that comes after him. Uh, and that was kind of the ideas I went into with writing those chapters. I wanted to show that there was, in that passing of time, they kind of ready the soil for a new generation of kids to emerge. And these are that new generation. We talk about Dave in South London. Um, and then there's a guy in Coventry called Parsaloo. Um, and he, I guess there is almost like a, uh, almost like a sad kind of tragedy to it in a way with some of the stories, because especially in Coventry with some of the violence that exists in the book is the same as some of the violence that existed in the West Midlands back when I first like charting it in the seventies uh, and eighties. Um, which I think also shows, I guess, what doesn't change in that time period, but it also shows, I guess, like how musicians have been able to change their lives and, I guess, move away from some of those kind of harsher conditions and harsher social conditions. Somebody like Parsaloo in Coventry, who's a son of Gambian immigrants, is an example of that. And I think I also wanted to show within that how um, British society is changing. Like in the West Midlands, as I say, it starts with the Windrush generation and all of the 
pretty much all of the MCs that I'm then looking at in the 90s and noughties, they're all the children of Jamaican immigrants, of people from St. Kitts, of people from Barbados. Whereas Parsalu, he's from Gambia, like his parents are from West Africa. And I think that represents, I think, a shift and an evolution in the dynamics of immigration in the country too. So little things like that I wanted to thread in there. And then um, in the in South Wales, I wanted to look, it look that chapter hones in on the South Wales Valleys. So the previous chapters of the Astrid Boys looks at Cardiff and Newport, kind of the bigger cities, two of the big cities in South Wales. But um, as I started to travel to South Wales, everybody would mention the valleys. It became like this big elephant in the room that I knew I had to address at some point. And then um, I got introduced to this guy, Luke, who... Um, is from Neath Port Talbot, which is a valley town by the coast, just outside of Swansea. And the valleys has its own really unique um, story in British society, in Welsh society, in Welsh identity. And his music really reflects all of those things. And so I wanted to, um, it was really important for me to put that in the book because, not just because to show that continuity is mentioned, but also to show like how far the music was reaching and how many different communities the music was reaching into. Like the valleys are like, 95% white working class Welsh towns and many kids from those those places are using rap to speak on their own social conditions in the way same way that Dave from Streatham or Cadet from Clapham uh, was doing in London and I really wanted to show the range and scope of the music and how much um, how deep like the well of that legacy runs in the UK and getting to go to the valleys was an amazing experience I'd never been to the valleys before um, seeing it the kind of like how almost hauntingly beautiful it is with like the the mountain ranges but then as you start to drive into the mountain ranges and you see some of the towns and how neglected they've been um there is almost like a bit of sweet um nature to it and luke's story really reflects that he moved from the valleys to cardiff which is uh like a something that has been happening regularly like a lot of the populations in some of those places are falling because there is no work there so people like leave into the bigger cities and he um, is an example of that and that's all captured in his music too so I think that was why it was really important for me to go there and to do all of those new generation chapters was it was an opportunity to I guess further broaden the depiction of British life um, in the book which was always was something I always kept at the top of mind was to really try and capture the social and human condition in Britain and I feel like doing those chapters and it enabled me to do that. Yeah, and as you'd mentioned, the kind of continuity, like the big themes around sort of the struggle for representation, you know, right back with, with the start where you're talking about things like Windrush and immigration and music cultures are still with us. And um, it was really striking both um, in the Valleys chapter, but also Parr's um, relationship with Coventry about, you know, who gets to say they're from a place, who gets mm. to be like official almost, you know, who, who gets to be... Uh, represented and yeah seeing that kind of continuity is, is really striking throughout the book I mean there's there's like loads in the book that we could have talked about <laughs> and, and sort of we're, we're, we're wrapping up now and and it, it with this kind of book like I'm delighted you said you know you're hoping in, in sort of you know 10 20 30 40 50 years time people can come back and read it and get a sense of like this was the time this this was the place this was the music and it seems really mean to be like so what are you doing next <laughs> but I, I always end these with that kind of sense of like you know given that you've you've mentioned next generations there's probably a sequel you could do maybe mm -hmm. in sort of five ten years but also i guess there's loads of other things um that you've got going on so i'm sort of interested in what what's next for you 
Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot. I think from the process of doing the book, um, and as I say, like the book was so massively influenced by narrative nonfiction. I kind of see it as more of a narrative nonfiction book than a music book in a lot of ways. Um, but I think in terms of falling in love with prose in that way, that kind of really broadened my ideas as to who I want to be um, as a writer. And so I think in next... Um, I think I'll be definitely be looking into other mediums, whether that's fiction. I've been doing a lot of essay writing recently, but I think at its core, like I'll always, all of those things at the core always kind of hold those themes the same of trying to capture life in different corners of the country. Um, and I now feel that's something I can do via whether that's through nonfiction, whether that's through fiction, whether that's through essays, whether that's through film. I feel like I really doing this book, I was able to find my voice and find how I like to tell stories and what I feel um, is important about human life and how you can demonstrate that in stories. So um, I think that's always going to be the remain at the core of what I do, but I feel like quite liberated now to try that in different um, different mediums.